Welcome to The Danger Room, a Marvel Crisis Protocol podcast focused on helping you prepare for the opponents you are yet to face. We discuss strategy, tips, tricks, and things that you should be considering to level up your gameplay. Don't forget to join us on our free Discord, or if you feel so inclined to become a Patreon, as we discuss MCP on a daily basis. The links will be in the description. On the podcast, regular members include Dizzard, Jacob, Mike, and Sploosh. Alright, welcome back to another week of The Danger Room, and let's go ahead and get right into it. Jacob, what do you have for Xavier Protocols? So, a quick one here. Uh, we've seen Nick Fury and his grunts, and everybody looks says the grunts look like they're made of paper, and they're not wrong. They have one defense dice, and they can get a reroll from Nick Fury if they're within three. But I wanted to dig into what are your chances of actually KOing them, because they've got two health. Uh, and we, we know that health is a really valuable resource. And quite often, you know, an attack does one damage. So what are your chances of just KOing those grunts in one hit? And of course, it depends on how many dice you're rolling. So I ran it through with four through nine dice and just straight up here are the numbers. So four dice, you got a 52% chance. Now, there's a decent number of characters seeing play with four dice, but probably the most common is five dice, which is 67% chance. So for the, a huge swathe of characters using their standard attacks, they've got a two thirds chance of just removing that from the board. Uh, which seems good. Uh, going up, six dice, 78%, seven dice, 85 eight dice 91 and nine dice 94. So they are gonna be removed relatively easily, but occasionally they're gonna hang around annoyingly and suck another action to have to deal with them or like something, a throw or a superpower in order to get rid of them to do that last point of damage. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it sounds pretty interesting, especially because like everybody's like looking at like, like 23 is just gonna murder them and get her frenzy off and uh angela being able to chain attacks as well maybe even carnage off of these grunts and what they'll be able to impact characters like that and what it'll actually do so yeah i find doesn't it account for anything like pierce or anything which makes it even more likely yeah <laughs> yeah i'm looking forward to them um hopefully they become meta and 23 just gets better <laughs> i mean yeah what especially are the... because that generates two power for her yeah so that seems like the perfect amount she wants to spend i mean what about the odds that Corvus one-shots one of them and you score a VP because of it? Yeah, seems high. Um, <laughs> so r- rough rule of thumb, Pierce adds a dice. So without Glaive's Edge, we're looking at sort of roughly 78%, so 75%, like three out of four. It's not bad. Yeah. I'm curious to see what happens with them. Well, all right, well, uh, that was interesting to say the least. I'm, I'm excited for Grunts to come into the game for certain reasons with that involved <laughs> but let's go ahead and move on to our hot take segment and we're going to go ahead and talk about honey badger today and i guess i'll go ahead and start and last week we hit on 23 and i don't know if i actually said it last week or not but you, if you're playing honey badger you're playing or if you're playing 23 you're probably playing honey badger and if you're not then you're probably not getting the full effect of 23 and missing some stuff Honey Badger is really cool. She's an annoying little two threat that just creates a lot of questions for your opponent, and she's there to die. Like she, um, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I guess we'll get into that. But I literally just used 20, uh, Honey Badger as cannon fodder and to deliver twenty three, as well as the incinerate on a stick with ankle biter is just super good and just diverting attacks because the taunt is probably the most useful taunt. Like I think her taunt's more useful than it is on Luke Cage. 
Um, that's my hot take on that, just because like you're literally jamming her in there and you don't care. Uh, what do you think, Mike? Um, I like her. I think uh, again, her ability to not score VPs uh, can be a little troublesome. But actually, Mark brought up a good point earlier today, and he was like, "I like running her in wide lists because you can compensate." the fact that she doesn't score VPs with just bodies. And uh, I guess I'm, I'm discounting Jonathan, but I just, Jonathan's niche to me and she doesn't really sit in the back. Yeah. And like both X affiliations have characters that want to sit in the back already. So it feels uh, weird to me to bring that card, um, but she's good. Uh, she has a good kit. And uh, I think attacking her can often uh, mess up your opponent because then you know, X23 gets the advance. You're talking about this too, uh, Desert. Yeah. So, I like her. I think she's pretty solid. Yeah, Nebula showed us the same thing, right? She Nebula is much stronger when she's surrounded by other characters. And uh, Nebula's goal is to hit above her weight class and then kind of let... And, and to activate first often, often right? Um. I'm not sure, so sure about Honey Badger about the activating first, but definitely trying to, you know, maybe take out a three threat with a two threat is the goal. Um, Nebula is definitely more offensive, but Honey Badger has more like interesting stuff with the mm. uh, too dangerous to ignore. I guess I, I don't. I haven't actually played Honey Badger that much because I don't like feel like I force her. Um, I can't remember. I don't know if it was you actually, uh, Mike, that asked me like, would you play Badger and like Rogue over like twenty three and Badger or twenty three and Domino? No, no twenty three and Domino. Yeah, that was me. Yeah, and uh, I feel like I wouldn't force like I. I don't think I would like as much as I see Honey Badger as like a decent character. I'm not like using her to like fix or add like a bigger character like a Rogue. Um, I, I feel like I would take her because I have to. Which means on like maybe like sixteen threat, I'm trying to force something like other characters. Um, so like for lower threats, kind of. But I I I don't think she herself is like so insane or anything. Mm -hmm. I just think having a two threat makes your affiliation more flexible, and that's pretty much like the biggest thing I like about her. Um, yeah, we also uh, shouldn't discount like the out of activation movement from little sis or big sis that with stapled with the bodyguard. We've all seen that with like Luke Cage and uh, Sam leadership or um, Heroes for Hire. You're just yeah, all of a sudden <laughs> getting bodyguarded now. So that that's um, a great point, and that I guess what I'm trying to get at too is like, let's say I was trying to play X Men at 16, and I was gonna splash like some really cool characters, and uh, you know, I have a choice to do like three three two, you know, to get in like the the smallest version of X Men. Um, having her with X23 automatically makes her a better character. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I'm not upset with those two being together. So it's kind of like win-win. And I guess that's like maybe a reason she's like mostly going to be an in-affiliation character and not so much a splash character uh, is that like you're probably bringing her with 23. But I don't think you force her to be with 23 either. I don't think she's that good. I just think when the threat values work out, you're happy to do that combination, you know, yeah. but she's also going to be the first character I drop when I can upgrade, you know? So 
I would super switch her with like Domino or Rogue or whatever once I have that opportunity. So I, I agree with that in X-Men, but in X-Force, it's the opposite, where if you're playing 23, you're playing Badger, um, because that's a 10th uh, threat core. When I, yeah, maybe because you're of Cable, like there's already such a tax on you. Yeah. I could see that. Um, and then like it just it helps deliver 23 if your opponent is silly enough to attack Badger. Um, it's, it's just that constant threat and creating more questions for your opponent is what she's bringing, which is why it's helping X-Force a lot, because Cable has less to worry about. Um, and then this, the threat in general, being able to start with a core 10 and then be able to splash two heavy hitters for your out-of-affiliation and still be able to run 17 or 18 with that is really nice, and it helps the team out a lot. So I think, I think for X-Men, you're right, but I think for X-Force, if you're taking 23, you're probably taking Badger. Yeah, I, I mean, they kind of remind me of Rocket and Groot, right? I mean, yeah. I, I guess X-23 is a lot more self-sufficient than Groot. Uh, <laughs> Groot basically is never without Rocket, whereas Rocket can be without Groot sometimes. Yeah, um, like maybe, a lot of times. Maybe it's the inverse here. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, because it's like a lot of times what will end up happening is 23 will just abandon Honey Badger. Like, he'll just go off to the space and um, leave Honey Badger on the other side of the board because she takes that move and then just launches herself into oblivion. Um, and then honey badger is playing catch up. I think that's also something worth noting is honey badger spends most of the game, either repositioning or dying. Um, like, <laughs> she, like I think in all the games I've played with her, um, she's made a handful of attacks. Like I hardly ever attack with her just because she's trying to get that good position to be impactful with the um, ankle biter or be able to uh, bodyguard for um, 23 or whoever else is not trying to take a big hit. So um, I've heard attacks rarely ever get used. I think your point of like them being like the inverse of Rocket and Groot is actually very true because Groot almost most of the time just kind of sits there and takes shots for Rocket and he'll occasionally make an attack or do something. But it's like the opposite here where 23 is doing all the work and um, Badger is the one just kind of sitting there and moving around and trying to do something i mean yeah, i think exactly. that might be old groot too though right because new groot has range three attacks and that's true yeah i think groot participates more now yeah <laughs> um I, I i gotta i i don't have much more to say about pony badger but i think we definitely need to talk about jonathan all um, right i i just when i read the card i assumed honestly jonathan was free and then i was like well maybe it's one power and then I realize it's two power, and I immediately feel like it's a bad card. Um, yeah. Am, am I wrong? Does anyone want to correct me? Um, uh, okay, so I've been actually thinking a lot about Jonathan because, like, you want to try and make this work because it makes Honey Badger even more useful. Um, so it's like you would love this card to work, but tactics cards are so tight in between X-Men and X-Force just because, like, you have other stuff you're wanting to bring. And you just don't have the power to play this when you actually want to play it because you'd rather be spending that two power to keep someone from dying as well. When are you actually going to be next to a point to be able to drop this token on it is my biggest thing. Uh, most of the time, Honey Badger is out and about following 23 um, or whoever else needed to be taunted or whatever it is. And she gets left nowhere near a point. Um, and then it's just like an opponent moves in there 
it's done. So it's like you could, I guess, in theory, like walk up to a point early round, be where she wants to be, and then your last activation with somebody else, you can drop Jonathan for two power. That's completely available to do. However, I would much rather save that two power to keep um, 23 from going down from somebody and just letting Badger take that shot and go down because she's less impactful than 23 is. So I don't care for the card because it's too expensive and you the t- like it's just it's it's hard to play to actually get the benefit out of it in my opinion i mean honey badger is a range two character that moves medium like yeah how is she going to be like in the fight and then all of a sudden dropping jonathan and it kind of leads into um honestly our topic for today because uh, like it, it's so many like situation situ- like things have to happen for it to be relevant that i just don't see happening um and yeah. then like what are you, what are you gonna do like because you don't want to use jonathan like close to the enemy because they'll just get rid of it so what are you gonna like double move away into like what some random place and then yep. do it and then what <laughs> then double move back in the next turn like it doesn't seem like a great line of play to me yeah, I had one theory where it was like be good on like Fisk or Terrigen, but then Mike was like, "You're dumb because uh, like they just move it off, and then now your Jonathan's literally just sitting there on the board doing nothing the whole entire game." Uh, <laughs> oh, for, I, you should yeah, I didn't even think about the fact that that moves. You should clarify for the audience what that means. So, Dizzard thought that Jonathan works like the brother, the Mystique leadership, where you put it on the token itself, and it obviously is stapled to that token. But Jonathan is like, uh, he's like a pentagrams portal token where he just goes on the table somewhere. And if he's within range one of something, he can test like an injured character. So Dizzard is like, oh, we just leave this next to the Terrigen Cloud and I can just infinitely score the Terrigen Cloud as long as my opponent just doesn't go there. But your opponent is gets to move it since you scored it. So they just moved away from Jonathan and now it's useless. Yes, and now Jonathan's just done the rest of the game yeah <laughs> why would your opponent give that back to you like i've tried thinking of like other scenarios to where it's good like the only other scenarios other than terrigen or fisk you have demons downtown sure you can put on your back point but the only time honey badger is near your back point is the very start of the game um then you have infinity formula she like again like it comes back to earlier like when are you going to actually put it on the point and it'd be useful and then at that after that you're out of scenarios aren't you i guess riots so I've I've played with I've seen people play Mystique leadership to decent mm-hmm. effect on map D, um, where you can have a character sit on your home D secure, and then at some point you can put the token on that secure and move your character to uh, the opposite side D to like their home D if they left it exposed. Yeah, and uh, that can be pretty cute. But the problem is, is uh, well, the benefit in Brotherhood is any character can drop, you know, the Jonathan in this scenario, whereas Honey Badger is the only character that can drop it for herself. And if she's the one parked on your home D just alone, she's probably not getting a lot of value. Yeah. Because um, she can't hold extracts either. So it's yeah. just, it just doesn't really add up. Now, like, the one place where I saw so you can see Jonathan being good is if you have, like, a notion to run them unaffiliated like with a force or oh uh dormammu um which we all i've talked to spooch about that and then i think mike as well here and both just like why would you run a two threat with dormammu um 
I, it's just like like let's run it out of like places like that where she has power and you can just drop it on a starting objective that's like the only time that i could see this card actually being somewhat useful in that manner um I yeah guess if somebody has another idea like sure that's not a but... terrible idea because you know it frees up your narrow squad with Dormammu to go fight things but yeah and she starts with two power from the leadership so that's cool but yeah, Dormammu, unfortunately, his threat values just don't really work out to be playing two threats, like, almost yeah. ever. Uh, the two threats just don't contribute enough on their own to make Dormammu worth bringing. Yeah. Yeah, it's but. easy to say, oh, Toad, for example, is kind of cool with Dormammu, but then when you're actually roster building and putting everything together, you realize there's really, like, never a situation where you would actually play like Toad. So that's like, oh, well, then this entire thought was, like, pointless you know yeah Agreed. um but yeah i, I didn't, i'm disappointed that jonathan isn't like free or one power personally but is what it is yeah i think if it was free you totally take it like that like even if it was one power i think you take it because then she can actually use it in affiliation to be useful the fact that it's two power is what makes it like eh. Yeah, the fact that you can't drop it on round one, which is without like the help of R&D, which then you, you know, you're bringing the opportunity cost even higher for yeah. something that's not even great to begin with. Um, it just seems like a stretch. Yep, I completely agree. Uh, do you guys want to hit on Wolverines real quick? Um, I don't think there's much. I think we all agree on this card. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I forgot what it does. Cause it uh, basically, what? Till the end of the line? Is that what it's similar to? Like, uh, yeah, except it's two of. range two characters. Yeah. Uh, basically, Wolverine and Lara, or 23, with the two of each other, cannot be pushed or thrown by enemy effects. They maybe roll any number of their attack dice, and after an attack targeting them, either is resolved. The attacking character suffers one if it did not daze or KO. So basically, it just gives them super aggressive, can't be pushed or thrown. Um, my biggest issue with the card is... All of the attacks that Wolverine and 23 want to be doing are moving them. Like, they're going to be within range 2 at the start of the time when you play this card, and that's going to be the only moment they're within range 2 of each other. Like, like if you think about, like, Wolverine wants to be doing best of what he does or Berserker Barrage, which is going to be moving them. And in most cases, it's going to be extremely hard to keep them within 2 of each other, unless you're playing something like Gamma or Demons. Um, I can see this card being useful on that situation, but other than that, I really don't care for this card. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Splish, if you want. Uh, yeah, I honestly just agree. It's just, and it's just like with the Wolverine characters, there's so many other cool cards. Like, no matter the cost, it's just like stapled to, for me on those characters. And an exceptional healing has to be at least considered. Yeah. Um, and so, like, kind of why do you play that card? It's just, there's not even room. At, you know, you got restricted cards and everyone's got to be playing Indomitable. So, you know, it, it, like the word opportunity cost, like you said, Mike, it, the opportunity cost is picking one tactics card means you're not bringing another tactics card. And and that's something you constantly have to think about. Um, <laughs> for the sake of positivity, is there any good reason to play this card? Like something cool or interesting? Yeah, so I, I had something that maybe. Yeah, go cool. ahead. I mean, the three power cost on each of them is, seems a little high, but. Um, Obviously, this synergizes with Storm's X-Men jump. Um, she's within two already, placed within one, so you can get mobility while still satisfying the conditions of this card. 
um, outside of that, unfortunately, you know, uh, you're, you're still bringing Wolverine, which uh, I mean, I mean, giving him re reroll any seems okay, especially if you're able, if Wolverine magically has six power, you could do, uh, you know, best at what I do. And you can do a builder with full rerolls and your wilds are double. So um, that could be cool. <laughs> I'm in the, uh, why would I bring Wolverine camp at the moment? Like Rogue just outshines him so hard. And there's so many cool characters like X-23 and Honey Badger uh, that, that I would play instead, you know, so. Yeah, it's a tall ass to, to play Wolverine and to bring like two to three tactics cards just to make him like semi-playable when Rogue just is great out of the box with nothing. Yeah, she has tons of tactics cards, but I wouldn't bring any of them, I don't think. But she doesn't need them really, so it's fine. No. I would say though, just like close out like this box set. I I do think that this box is just a win for both X Men and X Force. Um, the tactics cards are eh, but like literally like the characters are going to be changing these teams and like like very much so. Yeah, that I can definitely agree on. It's kind of weird too, because like sure we all want like bonkers tactics cards, but like there's so many good ones already. It's just. I feel like I'd almost get more stressed out if these cards were all insane. So <laughs> it's like, how am I gonna fit everything? Yeah. Um. So I, I don't like lose sleep over some uh, tactics cards that aren't the greatest thing ever or anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me personally, I'm still kind of waiting for X Men to get like a flagship tactics card. Um. A lot of other affiliations have this already. Like most of the affiliations do. And um, it just feels like a miss to me. Uh, to me, my X Men just isn't really there for me and. First class is situationally okay, but it's not like uh, it's not not your all webbed up. It's not your mothership or your asteroid M or your Wakanda Forever or Siege, yeah. you know, etc. Yeah, Avengers, uh, you could go on and on. Yeah, I actually pulled our Discord a couple days ago and said, basically, like, who doesn't have a flagship tactics card? And I think the only thing people could say was basically X Men, X Force, and Defenders. Yep, right. And literally everyone else is fine, you know. I mean, I think Sinister Traps is good enough to be considered flagship. I'd agree. It's it's pretty obnoxious, and it literally can, like, daze characters <laughs> without you doing anything. Yeah, you definitely play uh, that card if you're playing foes. Um, it's very I disruptive. It's a great card. I would be... I would love... I mean, I don't want Sinister Traps for X-Men, but I wouldn't, like, be sad if I got it. I'd take whatever... You know, you take what you can get, right? Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I think there's, like, 18 affiliations and really... It's just those three who seem a little lacking and just, I don't know if AMG's even aware, but I'm just holding my breath for like, because there's going to be so many new X-Men, you have to think eventually they'll yeah. get something. You know? Well, it's yeah. just like you, you look at that and like, those are the three most commonly like thought of as like the bottom of the barrel, like when it comes to like competitive terms, like sure, they're fun to play and all that, but when you're looking at competitive mindset, those are typically the bottom of the tier list that people make. Yeah, AMG's design kind of, yeah, if you're like not just playing to be as thematic as possible, usually it's the tactics cards that incentivize yeah. you to play more than, you know, the affiliation requirements for the leadership. And mm -hmm. those affiliations just don't have those tactics cards that want to make you play affiliated characters, which I think is yeah. a, a miss. Agreed. And I actually really like that point, Mike, because I was just, I, I think. 
I weirdly subconsciously assume that the leadership encourages you to play affiliated characters. But no, you the leadership encourages you to play the minimum affiliated characters. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. the tactics card that makes you play more affiliated characters, such as Siege of Darkness or Wakanda Forever. Yes. Or Avengers Assemble. Um, yeah, All Webbed Up's another great one. Like, it just, the list goes on. Odin. Yeah, and I guess even um, Asteroid M, you know, if you can play more affiliate characters, it's a better card. Right. Um, so, yeah. And it, oh, yeah, according to plan. Yeah, what more do you think about it? You know, just, I, there's so many teams that get to have that treat, you know. Um, and that, that's been always my dream uh, from day one, even before X-Men were even, like, spoiled. I remember saying, I just want to play a lot of X-Men in one roster. That's my dream. So... Yeah, and I know Hopefully. some people will say, you know, to me, my X-Men does do that, but the card itself just doesn't do it for me. I don't feel like it's good enough. Um, so, Well, when we discussed, I don't. it's worth noting, one of the reasons I think to me, to me my X-Men is a little flawed is it's only really usable by the two leaders who have horrible power issues. Um, so even if it was like, I hate to say a better card, um, it's like kind of not functioning correctly because... You're expecting two characters with serious power issues to like be there. I personally think too that Two Me and My X Men was designed around playing Cyclops and Storm at the same time. Because the card I think definitely it's an feels better. better card when you it are feels doing better that. when you do that for sure. Yeah, I just I mean it's beating a dead horse, but like not many people believe in actually playing Cyclops, so that's already kind of not going to work out. And uh, yeah, anyway, I. I just don't see it with Too Me, too me My X-Men at all. Yeah, but I guess to make this a more positive note, the X-Men are definitely much more competitive now, and you know their new additions are very... They, they breathe a lot of life into the affiliation, so you should definitely go out and play them. And, uh, oh, and I am very close to pulling the trigger on just playing X-Men in Season 7. I acknowledge that they're probably like step below because of even just the tactics card situation is automatically a reason to be a little step below but um these it, it all hinges on if we will get the affiliation uh yet out before the season starts because i'm not going to obviously play honey badger and x23 hmm. if they're not affiliated which we all know yeah. they are but officially legally they're not so i'm really like holding my breath that we'll get a last minute affiliation you know affiliation card and then that'll be really exciting. So, I, you know, I'm always looking for an excuse to play X-Men. I really am. But I'm also a very competitive person, so that <laughs> slows me down a little bit. I'm just on a crusade to make X-Force better. <laughs> yeah. We love you for I'm, it. I'm the, the martyr <laughs> for X-Force, I guess. <laughs> I guess uh, people need to drink as well, because you just did the thing. I'm, I'm trying to be better. I'm just better. <laughs> Uh, so I, I'll say just on a positive note, like I do think that like these tactics cards can have fun. Like, sure, play them. Um, just like I think for our reasons, I think people can understand why we feel the way we do about them. But feel free to use them. Like Wolverines could probably be really good on Gamma and Demons. Outside of that, I don't really know. But I say play what you want, have fun with it. I'm playing X Force in a not X Force meta. So, uh, you put up with me talking about X Force all the time, and not so much in a positive light. <laughs> but um, yeah, when I bounce my list off of you guys, and all I do is just get you know, 
<laughs> Anyways, uh, so let's go into the main topic. And uh, Swoosh, what do you have? You, you've been wanting to talk about this, so why don't you go ahead and introduce what we got? Uh, yeah, this is more like just an open forum discussion, I think, and just maybe we'll come to conclusions at the end. I, I got to say, I've been sort of like meditating on the subject for a few days to sort of think about it more and try to figure out my own opinion because I honestly don't have like a formal conclusion to it. But the idea is um, proactive versus reactive. And I guess to give some background on this, it's mostly for me personally, something I've heard of in Magic the Gathering. Uh, And so in Magic the Gathering, you know, there's like the aggro, like go out and kill you, do everything as efficiently and as fast as possible. And that's very proactive. You don't you don't care about what the opponent's doing because you're just going to be the fastest person ever. You you will be the most efficient person. You'll be the fastest, and no one will be faster than you. So who cares what they're doing? They'll have to deal with you. You know you're yeah. being proactive, and then reactive would be like what everyone knows is like control deck. You know where you have all the kill spells and all the counter spells, and you are very reactive to what everyone else is doing. And to get into that a little more, and I kind of am hinting at it, is that the proactive guy is usually day one the best deck. Um, So in a new meta, which I believe we've basically entered a new meta, we we joke about it and and hint at it, but in a weird way, we're almost in a new version of the game because of all the rule changes that we had last year. And, uh, you know, lots of new characters and... It's just a lot to to understand. Oh, and there's like a ban list, you know, a new restricted list, whatever. So it's a lot for uh, the competitive scene to take in. And in my opinion, that basically is like we're in a new meta right now in an unsolved meta in theory. Um, I mean, I would say for sure unsolved, actually. Um, and so that that means that in the world of like magic, the proactive people should be dominating early on because they're not as concerned about what everyone else is doing they're just doing what they do the best they possibly can and sure like over time people will get more efficient and better knowledge of being proactive but for the most part that's the concept and then the idea is as people see what's the best thing at being proactive they can then form tools to help them be reactive towards it and take the right pieces so in a example in magic it would be like what is the best removal spell for what threats are being put down? An example in MCP would be like uh, people are using characters with a lot of rerolls. So I'll use like Mark for Death. That's like a a reactive card. And then using Mark for Death would get you around like that. Even Mark for Death is so versatile, honestly, because... It also makes people move slower at people with stealth. So let's say the meta is covered in stealth characters. Uh, you know, that's like an example, I think, in my MCP of bringing the right tool to solve a problem. And then eventually in Magic, generally the reactive decks actually become the best decks, but it takes a while, sometimes months. And it takes pros and pro tours and tournaments and people understanding the game more. Uh, and even learning from each other because, you know, often it'll be like one guy out of like hundreds will figure it out and then everybody will start net decking, copying that guy. The proactive people can also keep changing a little bit of what they do, seeing how people are countering them to try to mess with your head and get another edge. And it's a never ending little bit of a battle there. But that's the opening idea here. 
And I guess what we would I would like us to do is maybe run through like what we think is a proactive thing that you can do in MCP and what's a reactive thing you can do in MCP. And then maybe you know, do we think one is better than the other or maybe they're both even and why, you know? Well, I have I have a thought real quick that I want to pass by you. Um, you said that you think that in, in early stages of a new meta, a proactive player will be like more dominant. Um, so if we're looking at maybe once the meta is solved, do you think it's the reactive player or do you think it's important to be a mix of proactive and reactive, like find that perfect mix? Well, I got to say my little bit of a shower thought thinking about the topic is I think MCP, you're never truly all proactive or all reactive because of the way mm. the game is just not a card game. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and you can bring 10 characters and 10, you know, tactics cards. And even the objectives sort of change how the game is played, which is not a thing in Magic, you know? Um, I mean, if you think about it, Magic's almost like just a death match. Um, so, you know, I think personally, you probably want to be at least half proactive and half reactive. And I think you could fidget with the numbers on that and, and really make up whatever you want to say about it. But I think, you know, I'll give an example. Like, let's start with some examples. So like, I think personally you want to, if you could be all proactive and it work, I think that would be like the best thing ever, but probably that means what you're doing is broken. <laughs> Cause if you're, if you're just right, doing whatever you want and no one can stop it, then like yeah. that's probably the definition of overpowered, right? Like if, if you can just right, if there's just no counter, then then what's what are we even doing, right? We're you're yeah. just doing everything as efficient and as best as possible. And you know, and, th and think of any card that's been banned. They're they're all like their crime was being too efficient, right? Or almost like being too proactive. Like hired muscle was too proactive uh drop off too proactive all you've got too proactive right bitter rivals you have prio too proactive see what i'm saying so like the crime of a character or card or whatever could be just being too proactive uh, you're just too good at doing what you do and it's oppressive you know um, yeah so i would as in some more uh like applicable uh, discussion or advice i would say yeah uh you if you're playing some affiliation let's say you're like a um i don't know web warriors is a good example web warriors have like some very good secures and some very bad secures now you're obviously going to be playing the good secures in your list like map d's like extremists or cosmic invasion or whatnot and um say you win prio and you get to play one of those that's great you can be proactive you can play your proactive game plan of moving around the table and scoring vps and like not really fighting but if you lose prior and your opponent puts you on demons downtown, now you kind of have to have some kind of game plan that is probably reactive because you can't can't do what you want to do. And uh, this comes into like, well, what am I playing when like I have to be reactive, right? And that depends on you know, in the who in the meta is playing the stuff that's bad for you, like demons downtown, and that's like a variable thing. That's fair. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can get into. Um... Like almost like a 1v1 scenario like um i think i don't remember it was a long time ago at this point but i think i mentioned at some point wheat cakes like i think wheat cakes is a kind of a cute card that maybe isn't played enough that could be play, see more play with 10 tactics cards but like wheat cakes is mostly just like it's a web warrior card first of all 
And then it's basically a card that's really only good against other web warriors. So if you're playing web warriors and you really hate web warriors, <laughs> like hate the mirror, that's like a nice reactive card, but it's only reactive against one out of 18 affiliations. Right. Yeah, for, for the most part. I mean, I, I really don't, I, could, I don't see anyone arguing with me on like, oh, it's actually really good against, you know, you know, A, B, and C. I, I don't know. You know, that, that's a way to like really hone in and target something. And luckily with 10 tactics cards, there's a lot more opportunity to bring like a little bit of a crazy card like that. Um, but yeah, so do we, do we want to like hit up on what we think is proactive to start with and we can come back? Because I think to react to something first, you got to know what's being proactive, right? So um, I think for me, like a lot of the proactive cards are cards or like cactus cards because I, I think characters being proactive isn't much of an f- interesting discussion. I think the only one that's really fun to talk about is Ghost Spider because Ghost Spider is kind of both and that she has like a like her web pull which can like be like a proactive control technique. Something you can do is like say last activation and move someone off and score a VP, possibly even steal the VP from them by doing it. Uh, so that's very like like a proactive thing that you can just do and someone else has to kind of deal with. Um, but also she's got lifesaver, which is a reactive ability and can save one of your characters or kind of annoy someone or counter maybe their strategy. Um, and I know from testing with Mike, I've been burned by lifesaver by just forgetting it exists for a moment and then feeling like a real idiot when I do something and it's completely countered, you know? Yeah, um, it could definitely be a feels yeah. bad. <laughs> so she's a beautiful example of like both at the same time. And <laughs> if you think about it, probably all characters with character throws are probably both. Because throwing proactively and pro- throwing reactively. And that's where I think AMG has acknowledged a little bit through their de- design that they're more aware that, hey, throws are actually really powerful. We should probably cool it with all the throws, you know? Um, right? yeah, is there anything I'm missing though anything that like just jumps out at you is like super proactive I think the obvious is like cut someone in half with the reality stone you know uh, Corvus is like the flagship of like I'm gonna activate and kill you and that's what I do and I dare you to stop me yeah I mean I feel like Black Order has a very proactive game plan right Yeah, they, they kind of just they're gonna do what they're gonna do and <laughs> you can either deal with it or you don't. Oh. <laughs> and it usually doesn't end well for you if you're not dealing with it. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so. so it's that's why they've been, you know, a, a problem child in the game for this long. And their leadership is giving you VPs as well. So you're being rewarded for being proactive, like 100%. You know, yes. kill, kill them, get VPs, deal. You know, I'm in. I don't, I don't even think there's another leadership more promoting proactivity than Thanos. You know, I mean, VPs is how you win the game. And he's basically saying, hey, go kill stuff and we'll get some yeah. VPs and win the game with those. Well, then like, if you want to look at the flip side, I think Sam is probably the most reactive. I was going to say that. That's true. <laughs> yes. And it's a great example of how being really, really good at being reactive can be sometimes a little unsettling for an opponent, <laughs> you know, because it puts you in this like mental puzzle. Of like, okay, if I go for this character, 
then that will move this character, which then counter what I do. And maybe this other character has a, a stagger condition on them. And if I take out his, you know, the first character on his team, the, the third character is going to get to remove his stagger and reposition and get two actions. And it's just like, so you're being like locked in a, a bit of a puzzle. Yeah, the, the nature of Sam's leadership allows the player that's playing Sam to be reactive. They don't have to think about what's going to happen until it does. And uh, their opponent often has runs into like these analysis paralysis situations. Um, True. And I also find with Sam, the Sam player themselves isn't as stuck in that paralysis. They actually just have to kind of put the characters in a reasonable place and just kind of let the board state dictate what they do. It's actually interesting too because I I've used um, it as an example, uh, especially in Magic, but it happens in this game too. There's often, and this comes down to who's the beatdown, which we discussed in a very early episode. If people want to listen to that again to know what who's the beatdown even means, or just Google it. There's great old articles. Um, but in who's the beatdown, there's generally one person who's kind of like the puzzle maker, and then the other person becomes the puzzle solver. You know, so generally the proactive person is the one creating a puzzle. Uh, you know, like, for example, I'll just stick with Black Order because it's no point. I'm just keep mentioning random affiliations. But Black Order's going at you and they're going to try to kill your characters. And if you get too close to them, you'll probably lose characters. They are not as much worried about, like, even what you're doing. They're just kind of doing their thing as best as possible. And you, you as the opponent of Black Order are set to try to sort of solve that puzzle. And that solution could be playing Sacrifice or, you know, ca tactics cards that kind of annoy Black Order. Uh, Heroes for Hire, maybe. Loki. Uh, yeah, Loki. Yeah, exactly. Great example. So that's usually how it works. But I actually, while you're talking about Sam, I was thinking, is that isn't that weird that Sam is like the reactive strategy, but... He's putting the proactive player in the puzzle sort of scenario. It's like kind of flipping the, the script, you know? Because now whenever you're doing something against Sam, you're stuck in this like decision paralysis of like, if I do this, then this happens. If I do this, then this happens. And it's a constant like tree of decisions you have to deal with. And the Sam player less so has to worry about that. You know, uh, a good example I find is, when you stagger a Sam character, it's this like pressure of like, well, I really don't want him to get rid of that stagger. And if I get rid of the stagger, often it means they're going to move closer and do something really bad to you. So then you feel pressured to not daze or KO things, but then that creates a whole nother puzzle for you to figure out. I don't know. It's just fascinating to me because I've never, that's just really unique uh, thing that I, know, I can't, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. And reactive strategies have weaknesses too, which um, I'm kind of getting at too. Like, so, like you mentioned Loki. Loki's really annoying because he's got this like range four aura that can mess your power economy up. But generally, reactive strategies weakness is like you can play around it. Uh, you know, even when you're playing in the magic example, when you're playing like aggro versus control, a really smart proactive player is aware of the resources the reactive person has you know for example brace for impact or even you know 
I, sh I shouldn't say asteroid M because that's actually both. But um, brace for impact is a great example, or indomitable, or field dressing. Field dressing is a good example too because field dressing has so many things that have to happen for it to work. Like uh, mostly, it, if you're running a, sam a spammy list, then it's less so uh, something you can counter. But you know, uh, to use field dressing, you got to be within range two. You have to have four power available. And if you just do it like out of activation, like, okay, let me, I mean, I know a lot of people know how to use field dressing, but there's generally like a tug in, tug of war with field dressing. For, for example, if a character with four power is standing next to your dazed character within range two already, then the field dressing power, a field dressing player has a ton of agency because they can, before choosing their character to activate, they can field dressing immediately, then activate the field dressed character, which then is a, a very proactive play. However, often that is not what happens. Often the four power character is out of range two of the dazed character. And now it is on, the onus is sort of like on the person playing field dressing to find a way to get that four power character, four power character within range two and then play the card without the character getting taken out. So if you were to say, let's say you activate just hypothetically Loki and move twice or something to stand next to like Sam Wilson, and now your four power characters next to a day Sam Wilson, you, you then can do the proactive thing of like, you know, doing it next turn. However, now your opponent has the option, hopefully to them to get Loki away from Sam or days Loki so that he can't, use fill dressing so it's just like tug of war going on with that card that is interesting for the game mostly my only thing with that card is it gets a little more wishy-washy when like let's say you're playing like six characters and your opponent's playing like four characters because then you can kind of just delay the whole round to the point where somebody's running out of characters and then you can do the field dressing play and even if the opponent with the four characters is waiting very like they're passing and stuff still eventually it's going to come to the point where you still have your last activation and they're out of activations and then you can go move use the field dressing card the the opponent has no activations left and then activate the field dress character that in that situation it's very difficult to interact with the card um, and that's the only example where it's kind of a tough situation um but, you know, even talking it out, though, I wonder then, is field dressing actually a little bit of both? Because it can be played proactively, uh, but it also can be very interactive with the opponent and has the reactiveness to it. Um, I think the we, proactive piece to that puzzle is really the question of, like, when is my opponent going to play field dressing? So I think it's more so the, the fact that it's there is what makes it proactive, less than, like, the effects it has. Well, and there is a way for the opponent to make your field dressing useless. Yeah. You just daze all your characters, and then the card no longer functions, right? And then I, I have to say, I, I don't know. I'm curious what you guys think, but I'd say like 50% of the time I play field dressing, I feel like it does nothing. But a lot of that 50% is me just winning anyway, so it's like I don't care. Um, but field dressing is not a card that you – can use every game i i find um, what you um, think about that i it's very list dependent you can't just play it in every squad like i think 
you know, Avengers, X-Men, they love field dressing. Yeah. You know, like Sam Wilson, <laughs> you get like multiple rewards for playing field dressing, right? Like uh, not only when your character dazes, can you move a character with power into range to field dress them? Um, but you also yeah. just get another leadership trigger for your character dying again. And then, uh, your... It's also a little bit of that decision paralysis because you're even playing field dressing as the Sam player and now you're creating more puzzle for your opponent by that card existing. So now they have to think, oh my gosh, if I daze this character, that will move this character within field dressing range. And then it, you know, so it creates more problems for you to deal with, right? Yeah, and I was, I was going to say X-Men just because they like to stick within range two of each other for their leadership. Yeah, um, but to to be on like I, I'm just kind of going down like a Sam Wilson venting uh, road, and that's not really productive. But it, it was um, a good example, though. Honestly, yeah. But honestly, I think the the crux of this is that when things become too re- good too good at being re- reactive and proactive simultaneously, they need to be addressed in some form or another, and maybe that's field dressing. I've been yeah, thinking field I, dressing is, is a lot of issues uh, for a long time now. After the Samageddon of season six, I uh, kind of was hoping that field dressing would also be restricted or even banned. Well, it is but restricted already. That, yeah, I realized that a lot of people just aren't on the same page with me on that. But to me, when you can have like a super effective squad that's also wide – that makes field dressing much less play around and much more of a proactive card. And I hear what you're saying that if a card is both, rea- if you can be proactive and reactive and be like a top tier card, yeah, you're probably just a little too good. I still stand by if you can just be insanely proactive to a level that's nearly impossible to counter. That also is how you end up on a ban list. Right. And I think Black Order is, is in that vein. Uh, granted, they got nerfed, so it remains to be seen how you know how good they still are but yeah they also got buffed in some ways so we'll see (laughs) we'll see how lvo goes next week you know if some of our theories are so correct it'll be really i i mean i love data and i love tournaments and i love seeing what people can do and come up with and so definitely will be holding my breath to see how that ends up um but so yeah i don't I really do. We are in a new meta and I'm super open to being surprised by a few things. I, it would be crazy not to be, you know, prepared for that, you know, and people can have all the theories they want, but at the end of the day, let's see what the tournament results are and go from there. But yeah, uh, like in more like uh, tangible, like takeaways is if in, in like new meta land, there hasn't been any organized events yet because season seven hasn't started. LVO is still not happened yet. If you're thinking about something to play, it's probably best to just whatever you want to play, just try to be the best at like whatever they're trying to do and just optimize what you're trying to play. You know, so if you're like a Midnight Suns, just try to, you know, facilitate attrition. Like uh, if that wasn't obvious, but maybe maybe you just leave characters like Loki at home because you just don't know, you know, how how impactful he's going to be in an unknown meta. That's fair. Yeah, um, definitely proactive is the way to go early on. I really believe that. Um, sure, eventually, and maybe even one random guy will like almost luckily unlock the code, or maybe 
just get it right. I mean, it's just what happens when you have hundreds of people playing a game. But somebody out there, even if it's like dumb luck, will like kind of have the right thing, you know, sort of the right tool for the right job. Um, you know, when you need a hammer, he had the hammer. And when you needed like a screwdriver, he happened to have the right the screwdriver, you know. Um, for example, like maybe the dude brings like wheat cakes and some other, I don't know, random hate cards like um, psychic shielding or something. And then he just keeps running into web warriors all day, you know. So he just so happened like, oh, I have like the countable, you know, I have the cards I needed to defeat the opponents I had. Um, so that super could happen. I think um, if you have this idea in your head that you're going to like, I, like, let's just say, I, and I'm just, this is off the top of my head. I just might be off base here, but let's just say you made like a Loki Groot, like root combo team. Um, I could definitely see that being a, a cool, like thing you could do that would like annoy people. But is that even good into like, characters that don't even use their like uh you know activated abilities that much like i i think of sam spam honestly and i might be off base here because sam spam has evolved a lot like now with iron man they they do have that ability to use and and such but like for example like iron fist doesn't even really use activated abilities so if you happen and, and honestly too I thought Loki would be kind of better than he was against like Hulks because like the Hulk just have so much power, especially like Steve Hulk. It's like Steve's almost countering Loki already. And then the Hulks are smashing. Um, I haven't found Loki to be that exciting into like a Hulk, like she Hulk and Hulk combo together with like um, Steve Rogers. Uh, and part of that's probably Steve, but even, I think even if you were playing Sam, I think you could probably get around it and just, smash loki perhaps I, I i guess he has trickster which is another reactive thing he does but um yeah i i just my point is like if you're trying to build like this like very reactive team that like is countering a meta you believe will exist it doesn't mean you're going to run into that situation you know and loki's thing is range four so maybe you run into like hawkeyes and cables who are just blasting blasting you at range five you know um or at least initiating attacks that you maybe you can trickster but they didn't waste anything because you get your action back and uh you know in cable situation you can just teleport at you again and then start shooting you again you know uh, the, there's always going to be like the matchup maybe you didn't expect and that's how you can get caught off guard playing reactive strategies not to mention um you know for example like i mentioned lifesaver lifesaver can be countered like you play corvus proxima you put proxima between ghost spider and the character they're trying to lifesaver and then you do like husband wife activate corvus and just start smashing that character you're not going to get lightsaber because it's blocked by the proxima character um and you don't even need proxima to do it i mean you could even you know whatever have something else there you know just place a character and then start maybe you uh charge with your character place uh, into block and then start attacking like say with rogue or baron zemo or something um so there is like reactive things have like then it doesn't always work out you know the agency is with the opponent not you sometimes yeah i'd be curious if anybody has any uh any re 
refuting evidence to my claim here, but I, I feel like in this game, MCP as a whole, it's better to just be proactive as much as you can all the time. And um, I think Sam Wilson breaks that rule. Um, and that's probably why he's just so insane. Um, he's, he's allowed to just, you know, exist and be reactive simultaneously um, where everyone else in the game kind of has to play their game plan and do it the best they can and hope that the, you know, the rest of the cards align for them. But well, I don't know. It's kind of like Sam's almost reactive and proactive when you really look at it. Cause it's stupid shield throw. Um, he's got like <laughs> Helios laser too, right? Where he yeah. could just have some big thing he doesn't like and just take prio or get prio and just Helios laser someone to death, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, they have a lot of proactive tools, right? I mean, they have Avengers Assemble. They have uh, mm. Vision has a throw. Like, Iron Man has pushes. They have Helios Laser. Sam's Builder is, like, the best in the game. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I guess I'm understating it how proactive they are, but they inherently have, like, tremendous reactability, and that probably attributes to why they're the best thing in the game. How about as a flagship to being reactive? I mentioned Brace, which we all know is Brace is a good card, um, but you can't use Brace if the opponent doesn't throw anything, and then they can kind of determine. You know, like, for example, I've had games where my character just has zero power. Or I've had opponents for sure that they've let their character have zero power. And then it's like, oh, you know, I know you have Brace, but you also have zero power, so aha, you know, I finally got you, <laughs> you know. Um, but how about uh, Heroes for Hire? That's pretty reactive card, but it's very powerful effect. And, you know, it has. there's some agency there. Like, you can perhaps move a character away from, like, say, Iron Man or Luke Cage, and then they can't use Heroes for Hire on you. It definitely has some catches, but very solid reactive card right there. And... I do think if Heroes of Fire didn't exist, that Cage and Iron Fist would be played much less than they are. Um, maybe. I think they definitely would be played less. I think they're still outstanding characters. Um, but well, the yeah, card is like, just so in insane. I think in affiliation, they're just still a lock because like, they both do pretty unique things. Um, definitely Iron Fist. I... For me personally, when I take Cage, I am a lot, especially out of affiliation, I'm definitely a lot more focused on the fact that he can play Heroes Fire. And I'll, I'll just say it's a selling point for me. For sure. I mean, obviously, if you have out of activation movement effects like Heroes for Hire is one of them, or, you know, whatever, mm. Cage gains so much more value because uh, your opponent can always move their characters away from Cage, whereas, like, your opponent can't always move your characters away from your Okoye if, like, that's the bodyguard they're having to deal with. Yeah. Um, so having auto-activation movement can definitely throw your opponents into a bind with with Cage and, you know, Honey Badger, Black Dwarf. Yeah, well, and then you have to mention, I don't know that they're super popular, but the Shush card and... No more mutants are pretty reactive cards. Um, your opponent has agency in that they know you have the card, and maybe they can try to like bait out you, you, you know, you using it by maybe even the way they activate their characters, how they prioritize their 
you know, use of superpowers. Um, I think they're pretty good cards. I, I don't know. I it. So those are, those are the kind of cards that like I get really excited when I read them, and maybe if I can play those characters, and then maybe I like I had Scarlet Witch in my early Dormammu list, and I ended up cutting her. And one of the biggest reasons I brought her in was because I wanted to have no more mutants. You know, I thought, oh, you know, no more mutants will protect Dormammu or whatever, and ended up just not doing that anymore. And maybe it's just me trying to like maybe Mike, I agree with you subconsciously. I said like I want to be as proactive as possible in this game. And maybe that's like wasn't powerful enough for me. Yeah, it becomes really hard to just run a purely reactive strategy in this game, just because of the way that the crisis system works and the amount of variety in like what your opponent could be playing. Um, There's another example I just came up to. Uh, what about the difference between like climbing gear and tactical analysis? So climbing gear can be proactive and reactive, and out of activation. Uh, you know, a little bit more expensive, right? Because climbing gear costs three, and I think tactical analysis is two power. I haven't played that card in a while. But... Um, yes, tactical analysis costs two, but the character paying for it is not the character that can move. Right. So it's definitely more restrictive just in when you can play it. Um, it's kind of a reactive card in that you can't move yourself with tactical analysis, which is a huge negative, I think. You know, it's sort of the difference between like med pack versus patch up, right? Even though patch up is kind of cute that you can use it out of activation. Um, but yeah, I know that uh, Jacob, if he was here, he's very high on climbing gear. I had suggested the idea of taking climbing gear out of my recent roster, and he was like, "No way! You play climbing gear like every game." You know. Um, yeah, I personally feel that tactical analysis is the balanced version of climbing gear. Um, <laughs> Because, like you said, Climbing Gear, proactive and reactive card. And I, I do have issues with that card, too. Um, but it's obviously less of a magnitude of, you know, field dressing or whatever. But uh, technical analysis, I feel, is a fine card. And it just gets uh, pushed out because Climbing Gear exists. Yeah, I don't even remember it anymore. I think it was like Season 5 of TTS. I kind of misplayed, and I ended up losing to Travis. But I remember... There was still a moment, despite my silliness, where if I just didn't die, I could have stole a win with climbing gear. And I'm not sure he saw it. Where I just had a character in range of, um, I don't know, it was like Fisk or something. And I was like, man, if I can just hold my activations and keep my characters alive, eventually he'll run out of activations and I can just climbing gear a character onto a point. And that would like make the huge swing I needed to, to still steal the game away. And unfortunately, my characters all died, and I was sad. But just climbing gear has that like very sneaky power to, to kind of flip the table. And yeah, like you said, be proactive and reactive. Because sometimes you know you just do climbing gear on like a Corvus or like a Modok, and it puts you in range of two attacks, and you blow up the world, which is a very proactive strategy there. You know. Uh, so right. very, very, I think it's a great card. Jacob's probably a little higher on it than I am, but maybe I'm just missing. I, I might be underselling it even myself, or maybe just because it's been around a while. You know how it is when you have a card for a while, you kind of get just so comfortable with it that maybe you forget how great it is. Um, I think like Sacrifice is a card that I keep falling in love with over and over again. 
is another kind of reactive card. Um, but sacrifice can do so many things uh, that almost feel proactive to me. Like, like I feel like if someone attacks me and I can purposely kill a character to flip Pryo, that that's just like the cutest play ever. Um, and I guess technically that would be considered a reactive play, but it feels kind of proactive to me that I'm like sort of stealing Pryo from my opponent during one of their attacks because I make them attack something they don't want to attack. So, and, and I don't think that was really like the intention of when Sacrifice was designed. I don't think they had it in their heads that like, oh, people are going to play this card and like steal Pryo. You know, I think it was like protect the, uh, you know, the queen or the king who's maybe holding like the super important extract. It was my, I'm sure it was their real focus, you know? But that yeah, exactly. On making me happy. So that's definitely though, I think a great example of a powerful, just purely reactive card for sure. Uh, we mentioned in a previous episode, I think last episode, um, Dizzard's been mentioning it multiple times, and the monkey brain is lizard home, and how it has this like super powerful ability to just like throw everyone around. I, I definitely would put that in the proactive camp, and I think it's a not you don't play it every game uh, kind of card. I think it's definitely a lot more powerful on certain objectives. But uh, it's it's actually a funny example of like when you can be proactive, but you're not doing it every game. Uh, it's just really good when when you need it and it, it, it works out for you. Yeah, it's like one of those cards that you're bringing reactively, but you're using it proactively. That's uh, a, yeah, that's funny. It's true. You're reacting to the objective, but proactively playing it. Yeah. I feel like, I, honestly, you look at a lot of tactics cards and all the stuff that you've been saying, and a lot of it comes back to tactics cards in general seem to be mainly reactive um, in essence. Uh, with like Your tactics cards like your get-out-of-jail-free cards, and I think where you get most of your proactiveness is from your characters and their abilities with the corner cases of like your support characters. Like I, I consider Cable to be a completely reactive character. Sure, you're putting out in, uh, Incinerate, but like his attack dice are not that great. Um it's like, but his like superpowers are almost all reactive, um, if you want to look at it that way. Whereas like, you look at twenty three, uh, she's a completely proactive character. Um, I just think it's kind of interesting to think about it that way, to where your tactics cards are like the main reactive portion of the game, yet your characters that you're bringing are the main pro uh, proactive portion of the game. I mean, I hate to go back to Black Order, but. It, like they're they're really just like the poster child of this discussion i think because yeah. corvus proxima are your proactive characters they literally start to turn and just kill things and then thanos typically always just goes as late as he can and you know reacts and moves the opponent around depending on what they did yeah um that's uh, probably why they're so successful and then you look at their tactics cards like mothership that's to me mothership is like a get out of jail free card um or I guess you could use it proactively as well. But it's like, to me, I look at tactics cards as that. Like, they are there for a reason, which in essence is reactive. Mother Mothership's a funny one because it taxes your opponent, right? Because now they constantly have to think, oh, is this the turn where he just, like, jumps from this character to this character and just, just slays me? Or or even, I don't know, gets away, repositions yeah. and flips the table. Um, I want to argue, or... I want to say, like, the generic card, like, I think um, proactive is disarm. I think a lot of uh, proactive cards are cards you want to use when you have prio. Yeah. Like, disarm, you have prio, you just, 
you know, kill one character, disarm another character. Uh, cards like disarm are uh, really good uh, to bring as like, it's pretty good to have out of your 10 cards, at least like two of these cards like disarm so that when your roster is being built and maybe, maybe you're playing two affiliations, uh, you have a card that's just sort of like generically proactive and kind of would work on every threat value with every character, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But that's something I just want to throw out there, which you made me think of Dizzer. but also I want to disagree with you that I think you're right in that a lot of the best cards are reactive, but I think it's because AMG is not that great at making proactive cards. And every time they make a good one, it gets banned or restricted. Uh, like I mentioned, drop off and even, even uh, hired muscle and uh, bitter rivals. Well, that- so I think that comes to what I'm trying to say is, is like your taxes cards are your get out jail free cards. When the, when you're making it, your put your opponent in jail card, which are like those, like you, you see what I'm saying? Got, right. Which yeah. So it's like, it's like you, you look at it that way. It's like if your taxes cards, are your get out of jail free card and your characters are primarily your proactive portion of the game, when you're just doubling down on that proactiveness, which we discussed at the very beginning of the episode, like that is where you're having a very much win scenario because you're just all out proactive. So when you're able to have three tactics cards that are proactive in nature and all of your characters are proactive in nature, that equals winning scenario versus all these cards that were proactive getting banned and gone. Now you're looking at maybe one proactive tactics card and four reactive tactics card. And then the majority of your characters are proactive. So I think that is where the balance is, is tactic cards are actually supposed to be more reactive than proactive. I actually really like that observation. I never thought of it that way. So. It's probably be AMG learning how to make their own game, right? Like yeah. You try things and some things just didn't work out, you know? Um, you know, I probably the best offensive card. Well, actually, hold on. You know what cards get away with being proactive? Uh, team tactics cards, which we mentioned earlier with X-Men. Or you're, you're, I think you're ones. saying affiliated cards. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Affiliated team tactics cards. Yes. Sorry. I, I I tried to imply team as if like an affiliation, but yeah, yeah. I meant affiliated tactics cards. Well, Pentagrams was very proactive, and that is like virtually unplayable now. So. Right, and what Wakanda Forever, Siege of Darkness. Um, there are a lot of proactive tactics cards, but they're they're you know sort oh, of a, only for this affiliate, and, and you only get to play one. You know, there was a like a discussion in our Discord about if you could bring unlimited of a tactics card, what would you bring? And there was a lot of people saying, "Oh, I'd just bring five Wakanda Forever, it's five Seeds of Darknesses." You know, um, it, it, they're probably not wrong on some level. Like, hell, could you just imagine five Leave Guts? Yeah, no. I mean, I better yet, yeah. how mechanically that would work. But what if you just played Research Base and Mirror Fisk, and you played five Hired Muscles? Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just move it forever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, maybe it's us observing that like AMG has found the proactive cards just do too much. And I mean, Helios Laser, I would say, is a very powerful proactive card, but it has massive restrictions. Like, you need a lot of power for that card to actually be good. Um, and, you know. You also need your dice to not flub. Yes, the um, dice sometimes just say no. Yeah, and you need a reason to play Iron Man other than that card. That, 
I've learned that with Usurp the Throne. Uh, that's a card where most of the time it's awesome. <laughs> Every once in a while, that card just like decides so, it doesn't want to contribute. <laughs> okay, I I have a I have a theory now. All of a sudden, um, off of what we just talked about, actually, um, the factions that we're talking about are bottom of the totem pole. We look at that, and they don't have a proactive affiliation card, whereas all the other ones do. So maybe that is why they are lacking in that competitive scene is because they don't truly have a proactive tactics card. Uh, for defenders, I believe that to be the case. Um, and I also feel like X-Men. all three of those affiliations have uh, shaky leaderships. Yeah. Um, and uh, the X factions suffer from poor leadership. <laughs> uh, I mean, but I mean like if, we're, if we're looking at tactics cards right now, because this, this, this that topic certainly doesn't help. Been. Yeah, like this topic seems to be really just revolving around tactics a lot of the time. But it's like you look at cat and mouse. Sure, that could be taken as proactive, but it's really just putting you into a position that you should be at anyways. Um, because the character is slow or because like, yeah, it gives you an edge and it can be proactive and it's very useful because but it almost feels like you should just have that anyways. Um, but you look at dirty work. Dirty work is not very proactive. I guess it is proactive, but it's not proactive in the way that you need it to be. Um, you look at pretty sneaky it's a reactive card you look at to me my x-men to me that's a reactive card more so than a proactive card because you're going towards storm or cyclops um first class can be proactive and i would consider that to be their better card um depending on the scenario of course but it's like and then pentagrams yeah we talked about that already but it's like you look at those three affiliations and they don't truly have an affiliated proactive card that is like game changing like like i said like the example of put my opponent in jail instead of get out of jail um they don't have a card like that and maybe that is like one of the true things that they're missing to be unlocked as an affiliation yeah a lot of the best affiliated tactics cards really uh shine on the swing turn yeah and um those those three factions just don't have that yeah that's a great (laughs) way of saying it because sure first class gets you power earlier so you can do stuff earlier um, of course, power issues, like kind of an X-Men thing anyway. So like even that card doesn't really fix the power economy, but, um, that's definitely not a swing turn thing at all. Right. Like there's no swing turn first class at all. Um, yeah, definitely not. And, uh, I've seen first class used in a way where like you run characters away with extracts, but that's definitely not a swing turn activity, you know? Um, so anyway, yeah, that's actually, I never thought of it in that light. That's really interesting that the ability to have a swing turn in itself makes sometimes some of those cards just better than the average bear sort of thing. Um, uh, that's interesting. I, I, I know we haven't really mentioned characters at all because honestly, I think it's like less interesting, but I, I do think that reactive characters exist. Like I think Ghost Spider is a fun example. Yeah, I, I will say though, if you do, you guys think you would ever take Ghost Spider because of Lifesaver, or would it be because she can like webline people? Uh, it's kind you of know, both. Intermobility, yeah. like you kind of want her whole kit. Um, like I've heard Morgan say, which I I, mean, I agree with him that he loves playing Ghost Spider in Brotherhood, and he just gives her a lot of power, and then she has like, you could say swing turn where she could maybe even move or double move and just webline the universe, you know? 
Yes. And just literally webline like three or four characters. There's no size restriction. Uh, it maybe characters are blocking other characters, but you just move characters in such a way that you can move them all. I mean, that sounds amazing to me. And that's, but that's the proactive side of Ghost Spider. Is there like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, what character in all of MCP would you take in your roster purely reactively? It's it's got to be Loki, right? It probably or, or or sometime uh, I was gonna say Lockjaw, but, funny but enough, not quite. I feel like Loki's got more popular because of the space gem, and the space gem's a proactive activity where you could go grab middle stuff, you know. Right. So I feel like even in that situation, Loki's gained popularity due to his ability to be a more proactive character. I mean, maybe Hulkbuster. Like his leadership is inherently reactive, and you're bringing him to you know deal with like the theme of Hulkbuster is to deal with big threats. And like he kind of, his rules That's kind true. of show that. I definitely lost to Hulkbuster in season six. Um, that's a good example, and maybe in that like Shuri. I, mean, I kind of see Shuri rerolls, which can be proactive, yeah. but you know Shuri moving people is a lot of why you bring Shuri, right? Yeah, right. but I see Shuri's pushes pushes is more as proactive than reactive. I guess it is points. at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. like, like I've been, I've been as you said that I've been like trying to think of like who is like truly like a solid like reactive character, but it's like they're really bodyguarding is reactive, like Cap, but he has a proactive leadership. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying though. It's like who is truly like a just reactive character? I, I kind of think Colossus was meant to be reactive, but it didn't work out. He's got a or he's or this or that is just why he doesn't work out is because he is yeah. just reactive. Hmm. Wong he, is kind of reactive because he uh, like removes conditions, but yeah. there has to be conditions to remove. He heals people, but they have to not be KO'd or dazed to well, heal them. Wong also real, gives real people quick. power, which enables things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Real, real quick though, like, let's let's go back to Colossus. I think that's actually like the perfect point is he literally is all reactive. He has nothing proactive about his card. He doesn't push people. He doesn't throw people. Uh, the only proactive thing that he's doing is fastball special on Wolverine. Um, so like literally he is a solely reactive character. And maybe that is why he feels bad is because we're so used to all these characters having something proactive and he doesn't. Um, and maybe that's sure. why he feels like comparable does. to lizard. Who's a f three threat, not a four threat, mm -hmm. but does push people, does throw characters and can move really quickly to contest things, which is another proactive activity, you know? But that's but like I'm getting at. Is like... he's, uh, <laughs> he's not the fastest dude, you know? Yeah. But it's like, that's what I'm getting at, is like Colossus is purely reactive when we've been so used to every single character being proactive. Um, at least something proactive about their card. Um, and he literally has nothing proactive about him. He is like, sure, he has a strike that can do damage. Sure, he has a spender that could do damage and put out what's done. But like literally, there is nothing about his card yeah. that is impacting the the game state. It's well, like so. Yeah, and I have this thing I say, which is, if you're not moving characters, then you're playing the sort of uh, attrition game. Yeah, and I couldn't think of a less prepared character for attrition than Colossus. <laughs> like, yeah, he's got like the most cookie cutter strike. His strike is worse than, you know, many, many characters who are three threats, like Proxima Strike, uh, X-23 Strike, you know, etc. I mean, isn't his strike, like, the, basically the same as Honey Badger's? It's, but it takes away a power. Only one, though. 
Yeah, Honey so, Badger bleeds people. I would. I, was, yeah. I actually think that's better. Yeah, if if Concussive Force did took away a power for each wild, it'd be better. But it's just it takes away one flat power. It's that's. Uh, yeah. No, I agree with that too. And whenever I get Concussive Force with Cyclops, I'm always like doing that like you know that meme of the guy just like question mark like yeah like this feels so like weird like i make you lose a power but i hit you for like three like okay yeah <laughs> you know but it's like like looking at it though and like trying to think through all the characters and colossus is probably the only one who is a purely reactive character and i think that is why he feels the way he does i can dig that i i can't argue with you I, i'm thinking through the characters and just ugh. like yeah there's most people do stuff you know like ancient one well no ancient one has movement stuff too if you attack her so yeah, yeah. but she also just hits way better you know I mean, well, it's it just more mobile it basically boils down to just not feeling like you have agency right and that, yeah. that's yeah. colossus's issue well it just begs the question like maybe like what if colossus came out early in the game and we didn't have what 120 characters that were extremely proactive and then he comes up being the only reactive like if he came out earlier in the game maybe he would have felt better um like this begs the question, maybe we'll start seeing more of these types of characters that are reactive instead of... I mean, for him to feel better, he would have had to come out and, like, corsets. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm not disagreeing with that, but I, I, I'm i just, like, trying to, like, think of, like, like, why? No, I mean, you're right. I'm actually, like, this is a fun little thought experiment. I'm literally running through the characters as you're talking, trying to find someone who's less, like, <laughs> proactive than Colossus. And, like... Even Crossbones, who is mocked all the time in his history, I mean, yeah. even he has a two-power overpower that throws characters, you know? I, like, I don't know. I mean... And it's like we talk about Colossus and what we would do to like make him more competitive and playable in that as, um, essence is give him a character push or a character throw, and he's instantly better. So g- give him that proactiveness, and he's instantly a better character. Yeah, and and I don't know if I was clear, but I think killing characters, like KOing characters, is a proactive thing you can do. Yeah. It's just Colossus is not good at it. Yeah, no, the like, five-dice builder and... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you compare him to any four threat, uh, you know, like Kingpin has a headbutt, which also stuns and pushes, you know? Yeah. Uh, and Kingpin's a leader, and his leadership is very proactive. Uh, he has Hail to the King, which is probably one of the best spenders in the game. Still, mm. uh, you know, it's it's not even comparable at all. Um, and, well, and yeah, the Kingpin literally can just throw a character with street level negotiations. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of beating a dead horse, perhaps. <laughs> but it, I, I, none of this was planned. I, you're not, you're. I just mentioned Colossus. I don't know why it just came to my head. Um, but I think he may be one of the only characters who kind of isn't really proactive. He's just reactive. Yeah. It's kind of awkward. It's definitely, definitely interesting to think about. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if I have a lot more to say on the topic. I think it's been an interesting conversation. We could honestly, there's like, how many taxes cards are even in this game? It's nearly like almost 200. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we could I mean, just go on and on yeah. and on. And But yeah. I think we've... Like you said, beat beat the dead horse <laughs> enough on this one. Yeah, I uh, I actually came away with this with some you know interesting observations uh, that I hadn't thought of. So I thought it was productive. Uh, some of it might be a little abstract, um, but uh, yeah, I thought I thought it was decent. 
Yeah, it's the kind All of right. stuff when we're bored that we just talk about off, <laughs> yeah. off mic, you know? Find patterns uh, and things. These and, interesting yeah. thoughts of like, huh, this well, is it's just, it's, it's just interesting, like, like you said, like offline, like this is basically just like, like I, I like having these open forum episodes to where we just kind of talk it out. And then it's like you come along these realizations as you're talking it out. Like, oh, like why? Maybe it's maybe it's something like this. Um, but before we keep going and rambling, I'm going to go ahead and um, end it here. We hope you guys enjoyed our our ramblings and uh, uh, got something from this. I know that I sure did. That was a good conversation. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our opinions. Please note, as time continues, some information may become outdated, but we will do our best to refresh some of the more prevalent episodes to be current. Be sure to check out Across the Bifrost Nexus, where you can find all of your MCP content. And a big thank you to Discount Games Inc. and Blackgate Games, where you can find all of your MCP needs. And then a huge thank you to Atomic Mass Games for developing a game we all enjoy and love. We'll see you next time in the Danger Room. 